Well, 1015, how we doing today? I think y'all I think y'all are starting to pick up a little bit because I always give y'all a hard time. The 845 is always louder than 1015. So y'all are learning. Y'all are learning. So that that's a good thing. Hey, I gotta I gotta give us a, a couple of announcements before we get started. And the first thing that I want to talk about is this, man, I want to give a little recap of our five-year celebration. So if you weren't here last week, we celebrated five years as a church. Man, God has been absolutely faithful. But there's a couple of things that we need to talk about because there's some neat things that, that happen. The first thing is this. We had five salvations in service last week. That's something, that's something to get excited about. But this is what's even better. We had seven kids get saved in kids' church last week. So that's phenomenal. And then we had 15 baptisms last week. Man, that's something to get excited about, something to celebrate. And again, like the number, like we celebrate having big services. We celebrate people being in the room. But man, more than that, we want to celebrate lives being changed. We, we want to celebrate people uh, kind of saying, hey, I believe in Jesus, and then publicly professing that with baptisms. That's the kind of stuff that we want to celebrate. Uh, another thing that we need to celebrate, we like celebrating here. We like telling people happy birthday here. So I'm going to ask Pastor Keith to come join me on stage. He wasn't ready for this. So y'all make some noise for, for Pastor Keith. Listen, uh, Pastor Keith and, and Malia have been here for, how long have y'all been here? Two months? Three months? How long have, we, have y'all officially been here? Three months? So officially been here for three months. Uh, man, he has, he has preached the house down when he's preached. And uh, man, a couple things that you need to know uh, about Keith is um, we've been friends for 15 years, uh, which is weird to think. If you want to know any like stories about him, ask me. If you want to know stories about me, please don't ask him because you... <laughs> You might not come back to the church. There, there are some, there are some, rough, some rough stories, uh, but man, we want to celebrate Pastor Keith. Uh, he has already made an impact on our church, on our body. Babe, could you please hand me his birthday present from the church? And on the count of three, we're going to scream, happy birthday. Ready? One, two, three. Happy there you go, bud. Give me a hug because that's what we do. Love you. All right. Please don't ask him any stories. And then I have to tell us about Party with the Pastors. So Party with the Pastors, we do it uh, the first Sunday of every month. Why do we do Party with the Pastors? If you're new here, if you're kind of wondering who we are, what we're about, our history, our vision, our direction, where we're going, that's, that's why we do Party with the Pastors. It's for you to step in the room, kind of hear from us, and then ask any question that you want to ask about the church. It's kind of an open book. So, man, we do that right after service the first Sunday of every month. So that's today. If you've never done Party with the Pastors, I would challenge you to jump into it. So we've been in our series, our last day's series for the past four weeks. We're stepping in to week five. There's a few things that we've learned over the past four weeks. I'll kind of give us a recap. The first thing is this. We can't be afraid of the book of Revelation. Just because we don't fully understand it doesn't mean we're not called to read it. It's in the Bible, so we're called to study it. And what we understand is this. It's a progressive revealing or unveiling of who Jesus is. The closer we get to Jesus coming back, the more that we're going to learn about Jesus. That's what the book of Revelation shares with us. And Revelation talks about all types of stuff that we don't fully understand. It'll talk about the mark of the beast. It'll talk about the Antichrist. It'll talk about the end times and the tribulation and all this stuff. And if we're not careful, we can focus on those items opposed to keeping the main thing the main thing. And the main thing throughout Scripture, regardless of the book, is always Jesus. I don't care what book of the Bible you're reading, the main focus is always Jesus. 
And what we're stepping into now is we understand that there's something that we can learn from the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the church at Smyrna. And Pastor Keith kind of mentioned that, that we're, all going to, we're all going to face suffering. We're all going to face situations that we don't understand. We're all going to step into a season of, God, why me? We're all going to step into a season of, of God, why, why am I going through this? We're all going to experience suffering. But as we experience suffering, we know that we're going to be better for it. And then the church of Ephesus taught us what? Last week we talked about remembering, repenting, and reviving. Man, we have to remember the good times. We have to remember God's faithfulness. We have to remember the challenges that we've made our way through. But then we're called to repent. Now, where, where do you and I fall short? There's times in our life that we just have to repent and say, God, I'm sorry I thought I could do it by myself. I, I'm sorry that I thought that I was that good. I, I'm sorry that I thought that I didn't need you. So we remember, we repent, and then we revive. What does it look like to revive, to do what we once did, to use the gifts and the talents that God has given us, to use the resources that God has given us to continue to expand the kingdom? So that's what we've learned through, uh, from the first two churches, and now we're stepping into the church of Pergamum. And if I had to title this message something, I would title it a two-edged sword, Don't Lose Your edge. Don't lose your edge. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 verse 12 through 17 and we're also going to be in Numbers chapter 22 through verse or through chapter 26. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to take some bookmarks, put your bookmark there, man, go ahead because we're going to be flipping back and forth quite a bit today. But, but what does it look like to play with an edge? If you're a sports person in the room, you know how important it is to play with an edge. You know how important it is to play with a chip on your shoulder. If you're an athlete in the room, you know what it feels like to want on all the smoke from the opposing team. Like, like you, you know what that feels like. It's like when Davidson shut out Butler last night. What was the score? 31 to 0? Something like that. Like, you guys shut them out. But, but it's also like our men's soccer team beating Virginia Tech. I'm sorry, I just noticed that there was a guy in the room wearing a Virginia Tech shirt. Um, <laughs> And last week was his first week. So congratulations, soccer team, for beating Virginia Tech. But, but that's what it's like wanting, like you want all the smoke. That's what it means. Like, like you, want it, you want to compete this coming Thursday. Some of y'all in the room already know. This coming Thursday, there is a massive competition coming up. It's a kickball tournament. Some of y'all are like, that's not the response that I wanted. Y'all are like, that's stupid. How old are you, five? <laughs> but there's this big kickball tournament coming up, and, and this, this, is what I need, this is what I need to happen. If you're in the room and you're playing in uh, Corey Joy's kickball classic and you're part of a team, I need you guys to stand up in the room. If you're on any team at all, go ahead and stand up in the room, any team at all. All right? So there's a couple people that heard from the Lord. There's others that didn't. If, if you're on Multiply's team... I want you to raise your hand. Multiplies team, raise your hand. All right, now you see whose hands are raised? If you're on Multiplies team, go ahead and sit down. Y'all give it up for those guys. If you're not on the church team, maybe you'll hear from the Lord. You can repent at the end of service. Told you I was going to call you. I was texting Walt yesterday. I was like, hey, you and James coming to church tomorrow? He's like, yeah, you need help setting up? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> No, I just wanted to call you out. Now you know I was really texting you yesterday. I just wanted to call you out. But, but, but man, we, we want the smoke. 
Like, like all week, the last couple weeks, we've been talking about this kickball tournament. The closer that it gets, we're like, man, we, we want to compete. I want to see you in the finals. Like we're not in the same pool. We're not going to be playing against each other unless we make it to the finals. But, but we, we've been talking with this competitive edge. And I know on Thursday, we're going to be playing with this competitive edge. But any good competitor will tell you the importance of having grit and composure. The importance of having some dog in you, some fight in you, and having some resolve. It's this double-edged sword. And that's what we see in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 12. I'll read it to you. And the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone that no one knows except for the one who receives it. What in the world did I just read? Like, do y'all ever feel that way? Especially reading the book of Revelation, the further we go down the trail of Revelation, it's like, all right, what's going on? Like the first couple chapters, I'm good. Now we're getting to the back end of chapter two, and there's this white stone, got a name written on it. There's this manna that's coming from heaven. There's this two-edged sword. Like what, what in the world is going on? And then John writes about Balak and Balaam. Well, well who are those two dudes? Because they're mentioned in the book of Revelation, but where, where do we find their story? Well, we find their story in Numbers chapter 22 through chapter 26. But what historically, what do we know about the church of Pergamum? What we know is this. It was in, initially constructed as a center of Greek culture and thought to be in Athens to Asia. It, it, it was, Christians faced bullying, persecution, prejudice, imprisonment. They even faced death. Pergamum was very strategic for teaching Asia because of its political influence. And what we know is this. It was a myriad, theologians write this, it was a myriad of both Greek and Asian gods. But most prominent was the elaborate monument to Zeus at the center of the city. That's why John is writing. That's why Jesus is saying, hey, I've got to come with you with this double-edged sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. Well, what's the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. We know through Scripture that the Word of God is what cuts like any two-edged sword. And as we continue to read through Scripture, we understand that the Bible always cuts away sin, but we also understand that the Bible brings life, truth, grace, and freedom. I don't know about you, but in my life, it's never been fun to cut away sin. Like in my life, it's never fun to walk through those seasons of life where I feel like I, ha I need to remove some things so that I can be a better husband, so that I can be a better father, so that I can be a better Christ follower, so that I can be a better pastor, so that I can be a better leader. It's never fun to cut things out of your life that don't belong there. Not only is it not fun, it hurts sometimes. 
It's hard to walk through those seasons. But if we're going to talk about scripture, I've said it for the past few weeks. I'm going to say it for a few more weeks. But if we talk about judgment, we have to talk about mercy. If we talk about truth, then we have to talk about love. We can't just talk about one side or the other. And I'm concerned that the body of Christ is falling into single-edged sword Christianity. Only speaking about grace without exposing sin. This is what we need to understand. If there's no sin, then there was no need for a savior. If you and I don't have sin in our life, then what was the purpose of Jesus? Newsflash, we have sin. Jesus has a purpose. But but for some reason, the modern church doesn't understand that. One-edged sword Christianity can lead to compromise. Last week, we saw the church at Ephesus, and, and we saw that they started to compromise. And as they compromised what happened in their life, Scripture tells us that they grew cold. What what did they grow cold to? They grew cold to the people around them. They stopped doing ministry. Scripture says that they stopped doing what they once did. They stopped expanding the kingdom. Well, what happens to the church at Pergamum when they go through compromise? For them, compromise led to idolatry and sexual immorality. Let me read verse 14 to you. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So we see these names of Balak and and Balaam in the book of Revelation. And I've already told you we were turning to Numbers chapter 23. I can't say, for some reason, I've been like stuttering over that all week. Numbers chapter 22 through Numbers chapter 26. There, I got it out. That's why y'all clap for me. Goodness gracious. But let me give you some character. So Balak was the king of Moab, and he was worried that the Israelites would overthrow him and take everything that he owned. So when we pick up this story, the Israelites are on the move in Numbers chapter 22, and and Balak says this, Behold a people who have come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite of me. So, So the Israelites, paint the picture for you, the Israelites had just come out of Egypt. Well, what, what was Egypt to them? Egypt was captivity. Egypt was bondage. Scripture tells us that, that Egypt represented everything that was holding the Israelites back. Egypt represented everything that was holding the Israelites down. And Balak was scared because they were no longer in bondage, but the Israelites were on the move. They were stepping into the promise that God had for them. I mean, can, we, can we pause right there for just a second? I know I've already talked about a five-year celebration, but can we, can we really think about that for a moment? For five years, for five years, people have received salvation through Multiply Church and through Jesus. For, for five years, people have been baptized. For five years, families have been mended. For five years, dads have become better dads. Moms have become better moms. For five years, marriages have been re- renewed. And what I know is this, is that the enemy is scared of what we come out of. The enemy is scared when we come out of bondage. The enemy is scared when we move past what was holding us back. The enemy, the devil, he's scared of you. And for some reason, we flip the script. For some reason, we live our life kind of cowering away from the enemy like we're supposed to be scared of him. No, put him on notice. Like, let him know. Let him know what the end of the book says. Let him know that he's going to end up in a lake of fire. Let him know that he has no dominion over your life. Let him know that regardless of what life throws at you, he's still going to lose. 
But for some reason, for some reason, we can kind of cower away and not remind the devil of his place. So we take a look at Balak. Out of his sphere, Balak tried to stir up false prophecy and curses. In fact, he tried to pay for it. Scripture says that he offered riches to Balaam. Again, I'm going to give you the cliff notes of these chapters today. Go back and read it later. Numbers chapter 23, Numbers chapter 22 through Numbers chapter 26. But go, go back and read it later. Numbers 22, 12 says this. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So, so God ordered the prophet Balaam to not curse the Israelites no matter how much Balak, the king, wanted to give him. Man, if we could understand this as Christ followers, our lives would be drastically different. Because no one in your life can curse what God has already blessed. No, nobody can curse what God has already blessed. God had already blessed the Israelites. And the king is asking the prophet to curse what God has already blessed. And the prophet's going, I, I, can't, I can't do that. Because God has already blessed them. Listen, you don't have to receive every word that is ever spoken over you. You don't have to read every comment that's left on your social media page. You don't have to respond to every text message that ticks you off. You don't have to respond to every driver on the interstate that ticks you off. Last service, I had a husband and wife sitting right here, and the wife was like, that's you. <laughs> I, think the, I think the whole church was like, I saw that. <laughs> but we, we don't have to respond. Nothing in your life can curse what God has already blessed. So Balaam is told by God that he's not to curse the Israelites. And the enemy didn't like that. And what we see in Numbers chapter 22, verse 15, is Balak the king responds, and it says this. Scripture says, Then Balak sent other officials more numerous and more distinguished than the first. Do you notice what happens in this story? Because when the enemy increases temptation, oftentimes it doesn't look worse. It looks even better. The enemy doesn't like being told no. The enemy doesn't like losing. The enemy doesn't like it when you gain ground. So oftentimes it's not him smacking you in the face. It's making situations look better than they really are. Hey, may, maybe you just, maybe the enemy whispers something like this. Hey, maybe you should just compromise a little bit. Maybe you shouldn't tell the whole truth, because if you don't tell the whole truth and you kind of compromise just a bit, then you'll get the job promotion. And when you get the job promotion, you're making more money, and if you're making more money, then your life is going to be better. Maybe, maybe you should just compromise a little bit. But then we keep reading, and this story takes a turn in verse 22. It says this, but God was very angry when Balaam went. Where did Balaam go? Balaam went to visit the king and the angel of the Lord stood in the road and opposed them. And then we get to verse 23 through 28. And Balaam the prophet, I'm going to give you the cliff notes again. Balaam the prophet is riding on this donkey. And scripture says that the donkey sees the angel of the Lord. And as soon as the donkey sees the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord draws this sword as if he's going to attack. But the donkey responds three different times. The first time the donkey responds, they're on this road. The angel appears in front of him. The angel draws the sword. The prophet doesn't see the angel. The donkey does. And the donkey turns off the path and starts walking through the woods. 
The second time this happened, the angel of the Lord appears. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord. And scripture says that the donkey gets so close to this wall that it crushes the prophet's foot. The third time, the donkey's walking down the road and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord. And that time, the donkey just laid down in the middle of the floor. But, but the, enti- the entire time, on each occasion, Balaam, because he didn't understand what was going on with the donkey, he lashed out, he screamed at the donkey, and he began to beat it to try to get it back on track. Verse 31 says this, Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. He tells Balaam that the reason the donkey was going the way that he was going was to keep him out of trouble. And, and verse 33 says this, The donkey saw, it saw me and turned away from me three times. If it had not turned away, I certainly would have killed you by now. Sometimes when we read through scripture, like what in the world's going on? I don't fully understand this, but, but what's happening is this. Balaam is going to meet with Balak. The prophet is going to meet with the king. And and each time that the donkey sees the angel of the Lord, it turns to keep the prophet out of trouble. Sometimes in our life, there's things that happen to us that we don't fully understand, but they're things that are trying to keep us out of trouble. Let me ask you this. Is there anyone in your life that you've been lashing out at? Is there anyone in your life that you've been getting frustrated with? If, is there anyone close to you that you don't fully agree with and they're just getting on your nerves and you just start lashing out to them? What if, what if God has sent them there to keep you from your own destruction? Man, what, what does this look like for us? How many times have you lost your temper on people that you probably shouldn't have lost your temper on? I, I know that I do it all the time. I have this tendency. Listen, I'm a very passionate person. I'm passionate in both directions. When I'm angry, I'm very angry. But there's been times in my life that I've lashed out at people that didn't deserve it. Maybe God has sent them there to stop you from making disastrous decisions yourself. I know this isn't anyone in the room, but maybe you would say something like this. My spouse is just holding me back. Man, if my spouse would just get on my team, if my spouse would just be on my side, if my spouse would just understand that I deserve the new truck, If my spouse would just understand that I deserve the new boat. If my boss would just understand that I already have the degree. If my boss would just get out of my way and give me the promotion. In fact, I think I can do the job that my boss does better than he can. Maybe they should just get out of my way. My friends just don't believe in me enough. My pastor just doesn't see the call that God has on my life. My coach just doesn't understand that I should be starting and the other players shouldn't. I mean, we've got to stop that mentality. We've got to stop acting like we deserve everything. Some of, some of us are too blind to see the angel with the sword drawn right in front of us. Listen, the truck would absolutely bury you financially. You haven't earned enough respect from your peers to receive the job promotion. God's got some work to do in you before you can fully step into ministry. If you started now as an athlete, you would make a fool of yourself because you don't fully know the playbook. If we're not careful, we say things like, they just don't know what God has called me to. We say things like, they just don't know how talented I really am. Numbers chapter 22, picking up in verse 20. That night... God came to Balaam 
the prophet, and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. All right. I, I, un, I understand that part of the story. God told him to do it. God told him to go. But remember what I just told you. After he left, he's riding this donkey, and the angel of the Lord was going to kill him. Why would God tell him to go somewhere if he planned on getting rid of him? Why would God tell him to go visit the king if he was going to send the angel of the Lord to draw his sword, to stand and oppose him, to stop him from going? We have to go to verse 18 to understand the fullness of the story. Balaam made it look like he said no, but what he was really doing was seeing how close to compromise he could really get. Balaam wasn't refusing to go to the king. Balaam was negotiating with the king. Balaam was trying to see how close to compromise he could really get. Once you start negotiating with the enemy, you've already made up your decision. Once you start negotiating, how, how close to this line called sin can I actually get? How, how, how close can I get before it really affects my life? How close can I get before it really affects my family? How close can I get before it really affects my marriage? How close can I get before it really affects my kids? How close can I get before it really affects my job or my title or the outcome that I have? How close can I get? Here's what's scary. Sometimes God's yes in our lives is Him allowing us to do what we've already made up in our minds that we're going to do anyway. I, I, I mean, have you ever been there? Man, why did God let me do that? Like, you look back like, why in the world? Because your mind was already made up. You were actually already traveling down the road. Fast forward to Numbers chapter 25, 1 through 9. What happened to the Israelites? Scripture tells us that they compromised and fell to sexual immorality. This is what we know. The enemy has no power to keep you from your destiny. But your own compromise and sexual immorality can. The enemy has no power over you. The enemy cannot determine your destiny. The enemy cannot determine the outcome that you have for your life. The, the enemy cannot make you go one direction or the other. The only person that can do that is you. Where, where are we compromising? Where are you and I compromising? And then I had to jump back over to Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrificed to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Man, I read this over and over and over again, and I still didn't get it. Because in Numbers, Balak, the king, was trying to get Balaam, the prophet, to put a curse on Israel. But, but Revelation says that it was the teaching of Balaam. Well, what is that? Scripture says that Balaam taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. It seemed, it seemed like Balaam was the good guy. It seemed like he was on the right track. It seemed like he obeyed the Lord. Why? Because of Numbers chapter 22 through 25. He said everything that God wanted him to say. He blessed Israel three times and he cursed Israel's enemy. But where, where was Balaam traveling while he was doing that? He was traveling to Peor. Well, 
Where did Israel fall into compromise and sexual immorality? Scripture says that they fell to compromise and sexual immorality in Peor. Listen, you can be operating in the prophetic. You can be speaking the word of God. You can be honoring the Lord with your lips. Balaam says all the right things all while walking down the road of compromise and sexual immorality. But he's following Jesus. He's following the direction, but he already had up in his mind that he was going to compromise. What road are you and I walking down? Where have you and I made compromises in our own life? So how, how did all of this stop? How did sexual immorality stop? How did compromise stop? What, what was the shift that happened? There's this guy named Phineas. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to compromise. It's, it stops with me. It stops with my family. I'm, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to follow the word of the Lord. I'm going to follow the path that God has laid for me. I'm not going to steer to the left or, or to the right. I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to follow the Lord. What type of individual repentance do we need in the room? What type of repentance do you need to make in your actual life? What type of repentance do you need to make in your digital life, in your thought life? Where, where do you need to repent? Script, scripture says that we've all fallen short. I mean, can I level the playing field? I'm going to get down here too. Can I level the playing field? Like We're all on equal playing field. All of us. It doesn't matter your worst sin that you've ever committed. We're all on equal playing field. We all need Jesus. I don't care if you've been following him for 35 years. You still need Jesus. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 35 seconds. We all need Jesus the same amount. Some of you in the room, you're like, yeah, but Zach, you just don't know. Like, you, you, don't, know, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I, I've committed. You, you don't know how far away I've really run from Jesus. I don't care. What I know is you can't outrun him. What I know is your sin isn't too great. Your anger isn't too great. Your fear isn't too great. Your self-doubt isn't too great. Your depression isn't too great. Your anxiety isn't too great. There is nothing that can cause you to outrun the grace of God. But, but here, here's the reality. Here's the reality. You have to, you have to determine if you're going to compromise or not. Because I can tell you all this stuff, but it's still up to you. Are we going to compromise or are we going to repent? What do we see in Numbers chapter 26? What happens after they repent? What we see is a new generation of warriors rise up. So after you go back and read this later, but after you see Phineas say, hey, it stops with me. What we see is there's birth after birth after birth. There's just this lineage after lineage after lineage of all of these warriors that are being born. The future power of our sons and daughters depends on our current repentance. Listen, moms and dads, every time we choose purity, our sons and our daughters get stronger. Spiritual fathers and mothers, every time you choose righteousness, your spiritual sons and daughters gain strength. 
what we do now as moms and dads, what we do now as husbands and wives, what we do now as single individuals, what we do now as grandparents, it can all impact the next generation. Listen, this two-edged sword thing isn't fun. It doesn't, it doesn't feel good, but it's absolutely needed. I, I pray that I get my life right so that my daughters can live better lives. Man, I pray that I'm a dad, that I'm a husband, that I'm a father, that my daughters would want to marry. I, I, I pray that I'm that example. What would it look like for us to be the example for the community? Because it's easy to point fingers. It's easy to say, well, their sin's not as bad as my sin. Do you know what he did? Do you know what she did? Do you know what they're going through? At least we're not going through that. And we try to justify sin and put sin on a level. Again, we're all equal playing field. So, so where is it for you? And where is it for me? Where, where do we need to repent, church? We can not and we will not compromise. We can't do it. So as we step back into worship, where is it for you? Listen, the altars are going to be open. This is what I'm challenging, challenging you to do. Spend time with Jesus. This is what I know. Even now, there's people sitting in the room going, man, I should probably go to the altar. But if I went up there, then people would think something's wrong in my life. If I went to the altar, if I started to pray, then maybe people would think that something's drastically wrong. Get that thought out of your head. That's compromise. Stop compromising. What's more important for you to get your life right with Jesus, for you to repent for things you need to repent for, or for you to worry about what other people in the room are thinking? And I, ne I never want to compromise. But here's the beauty of this entire message. It's not a condemning message. It's not a message of me pointing my finger at you. Again, it's me saying we're all on equal playing field. It's a message of encouragement. I'm going to talk about sin. I'm going to talk about repentance. But I'm also going to remind us of the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. It's not just about coming up here saying, God, I need to repent for some stuff. But it's saying, God, fill me with your love. God, fill me with your grace. God, fill, fill me with everything of you, with the fruits of the Spirit. So as this team steps back into worship, you guys figure it out. You gotta figure out what you need to talk to God about. Let's all step back into worship for a minute. Hey, thanks for joining us today at Multiply Church. We can't wait to see you again next week, either in person or online, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world.